If you have opened that passage before you, Acts chapter 6, page 1098, it's pretty much the, the main and only passage that we'll be uh, looking at this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, we need you to come and to be with us just now by your Spirit. We need you in more ways than we know. We need your presence more deeply than we understand. And we need your your wisdom. So come and, and speak. We want to listen. We've just turned the corner into 2010. It's going to be a year of a general election. So throughout Britain, we'll get a chance to elect our political representatives for the incoming term. We'll see whether it's the Conservatives or or Labour who end up being uh, in control. Well, it's election time here at Kirkpatrick Memorial as well. Um, not quite on the same scale, but, but still in a way that's important to us and important to this community. Uh, so the elders asked me at a recent Kirk session meeting to take a Sunday to talk uh, and to show you in God's word some, some things that could guide you as members of the congregation about to elect a new congregational committee. Just to explain how all this works, a committee in church life, a congregational committee, has a three-year life or or a term or a cycle. The committee that's been operating here from 2007 will come to an end uh, around about February time and at our AGM we'll install a a new committee for for the incoming three years and that process we've actually been working on for a little while already. Maybe before Christmas you remember we did a bit of work establishing a voters list. Um, Well today Uh, we're coming to the point where where it all becomes a bit more interesting and where you're much more involved. We've established our voters list uh, and today we have nomination papers available for you to take home and to to fill in and to return to us either later today or or next Sunday, uh, allowing you to make your nominations for our congregational committee. Before I do any of this, before I talk about how you might approach that responsibility of uh, nominating for a new committee. I want to thank the the folks who have been working here the last three years. The folks who have paid our bills, uh, the folks who have maintained our our buildings, uh, the folks who have met to deal with a lot of other administrative aspects of church life, who have thought about our health and safety, Folks have done so much more than I could list just now, so much of which is unseen. I want to to go on record with our thanks to the committee that's coming to the end of its term just now. Some of the folks on that committee haven't done this just for three years, Um, not even for more years than that. Probably better to count it in decades 
there are people here who have been doing this work for 20, 30, maybe more years. And I thought it would be important for us to mark that and recognize that and honor them this morning. Maybe we just take a moment to give them a round of applause and thank them for all the ways in which they've served these last three years. We're going to try and think now together about how we might approach uh, our nominations for a new congregational committee. And I want to do it in the way that we always try to do everything in our, in our common and shared life. And that is humbly before God, paying attention to his word to see if, if he shows us there, if he, he leads us and he guides us. And as we do that, I want you to have your eyes on Acts chapter 6, those early seven verses, because they tell us, I think, about the first election of a congregational committee. And certainly it's the first time we read about something like that in, in the, the New Testament. The first question I want to think with you about is one, it sort of comes before the detail, and that's the why question. Why have churches come to the conclusion that it's a good idea to have a congregational committee? Is it because Presbyterians just can't imagine life without lots of committees? Actually, I think that's probably partly true. But anyway, there's a, there's a better reason than that. Why do we have a group of people doing this kind of work? Well, the answer is simple. And it's this. Whenever, whenever a community of God's people comes together and begins to grow, then important administrative and practical work arises that needs to be done. Look again at the first couple of verses of Acts chapter 6. Very obvious there what the important practical administrative work is. The church seems to operate some sort of a, a meals on wheels kind of thing. Uh, they make sure that widows in the community are, are fed and cared for. Widows in, in that culture would not only have had the, the heartache of being alone to deal with, but usually uh, would have been materially uh, impoverished. They'd be very, very poor. So the church recognized this and wanted to respond to that need. But notice the apostles' reaction. They recognize that this is a serious issue. But they recognize at the same time a subtle danger that comes along with this serious issue. And that subtle danger is that if they immediately say, oh, here's a problem, why don't we jump in and deal with it? They realize the danger there is that they would they would move away from their primary calling. And their primary calling is to prayer and, and the ministry of the word of God. They'd stop preaching the good news of Jesus. So they decide that they're going to get some help, some other people to help them uh, to do the whole of the work that the church needs done. Folks, that's basically it. That's why churches uh, have congregational committees or in some churches... Uh, they maybe use the word deacons. The churches have recognized the role for people to be involved in, in very practical ministries. So the minister and the elders who are charged with, with preaching the word of God and giving pastoral care, they recognize this other work that needs to be done. They recognize the danger 
of them being taken away from the things that they have been called to, and as a result, they look for help. That's other people who can be involved from the congregation. What kind of help will they need? Well, I want you to think what kind of help we might need in a place like this. So you're in charge of an organization, you're trying to lead an organization with up to 300 or more active members that meets in a, in a place like this, a building in a complex like this. What do you think some of the issues might be? Well, finance is one. We've already mentioned how that's a, an important part of the committee's work to, to pay the bills, to pay the staff, to, to organize all those other financial aspects of our life together. That's a particular skill, and not everybody has it. Some people, if you drop a set of accounts in front of them, they're, they're excited. They look at it and they light up and they think, that, that's magic. They're a pretty small minority of the population, admittedly. And, but, but people like that exist. And they're a gift to the church. People who can help us to think about our financial uh, aspects of our church life. There's a, there's a wisdom there. An understanding of how, how these things work that can be a gift to the church. Property. Uh, some of us look at a building and we, we only ever see the problems we see that this part of the church is cold, that part of the church is damp, we, and we don't know what to do about it or how to deal with it or how to act about it. But there are people who get that. They've had a range of experiences of training where they, they know how to, to look at a building and see how it could develop, uh, how it could be uh, made new. So it's important that on a congregational committee we have people who can do that kind of work. If you've been around a church like this, you're probably not surprised by those first two areas that I've raised, finance and buildings, because those quite often dominate the activities of a church committee. But congregational committees have other responsibilities, at least one other, and it's one that, that I think we've allowed to slip into the background. According to the Code of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, the duties of the Congregational Committee shall be to take care of the poor and administer the temporal affairs of the congregation. For the most part, I think churches focus on the administering of the temporal affairs of the congregation. That is looking after the practical administrative needs, that's the finance and the buildings and so on. But isn't it interesting? That historically, at least, the church understood that one of its key roles was the care of the poor. That's, that's written into the legislation of our church. It's something that if you look back through the church in, in history, you'll see that the church had a very strong grasp of that. And of course, it's very much the issue in Acts chapter 6. The first congregational committee elected so that the widows in the community could be taken care of. Folks, we're at a time in our congregation's life where that's a question right at the top of our agenda. How can we begin to be more of a blessing to people beyond our church family and within our church family who fall into some sort of need, who need practical help? 
And that's what our church community and change process has been helping us to think about. It's something that we will want to see at the top of our agenda for any new committee that's elected in this place. So that's what we're about, folks, when we are electing this committee over these next couple of weeks. We want to bring together a group of people who can help us in the important areas of finance, of buildings, and of social action. And we want them to to be set free to do that so that the minister and the elders can continue to pursue their primary callings of preaching and pastoring. Well, how how should we go about this? Have another look there at Acts chapter 6. We're not given the details, but we are told that they have some sort of an election there. They gather the whole group together, and the apostles say, Brothers, choose seven men from among you. And we see that in verse 5, the proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose uh, that bunch of guys with those interesting names. So having an election uh, along the lines that we're going to do uh, in the next couple of weeks seems like a, a sensible and, and biblical way to approach the, the problem that lies before us. I suppose the last major question I want to deal with this morning is, is probably the most important one as you have a, as you have a nomination paper with you at home. What kind of people are we to appoint? Are we to nominate to our congregational committee? We'll look again because again in Acts 6, in this short passage, we get some very clear guidance. Look at verse 3. The apostles tell the people to choose men who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. There's kind of two aspects here. One is to do with their character, full of the spirit and ones to do with their competence or their ability, they're full of wisdom. Let's think about their character for a moment. What kind of a person are we to be looking for? Act 6. A person full of the Spirit. Folks, when you think of people that you're going to invite into any position of church leadership... We've got to have in our minds those people who are clearly in love with Jesus Christ. They're alive in him and who want to grow in him and serve in him. If we appoint people to a congregational committee who don't know Jesus, we're putting them and our our whole church family actually in a difficult position. How can you give leadership in a body or an organization If the very heart of it, the very heart of what this church is all about, if that's eluded you, if you don't know and love Jesus, how can you lead in a way that's going to draw other people to him and to grow in him? Folks, please don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that to be on the congregational committee a person needs to be perfect and a finished product, not at all. But we're looking for people who demonstrate that they're alive in Christ. Maybe they're demonstrating that while they're far from the finished product, they're growing and they want to grow and they're hungry to grow. 
Maybe that's the kind of person we're looking for in our election. In other passages, Paul tells us a little bit more about what a person full of the Spirit might look like. He gives us some more concrete um, indicators. And in particular, Paul talks about church leaders as controlled people. People who are controlled in how they use money, in how they use alcohol, in how they operate in their own homes. And the principle, I think, is quite a straightforward one. If a person isn't controlled in their own life, if this is a person who's prone to to going off the rails themselves, who's who's prone to, to attracting scandal in their own lives, if a person can't control themselves, would it be a wise thing to invite them to a position where they can offer leadership and control over others? The task of the congregational committee is to manage the resources of the church, its finance, its buildings, its care of the poor. We need to be able to control our own lives before we can offer leadership in that regard. Whenever you take your nomination papers away with you today, those who are voting members of the congregation, there's a little leaflet that we've left out with it. It's not our own leaflet, it's one published by the Presbyterian Church in Ireland that gives advice for choosing a congregational committee. Please take one of those with you. It'll take you about 10 minutes to read it. And I think it's very good. Gives you good advice and a good reminder just before you um, put names on the nomination papers. But the brochure talks about the character of people that we could nominate. And it says this. They are to be committed people. They're to be committed to Christ, to their family, and to their congregation. You may be able to identify fine Christian people who live controlled lives, but whose commitment to your congregation is less than wholehearted. They may have other interests. Some will have an interest very worthy in very worthy and commendable pursuits. But those who are selected should be people who will see Christian service within your congregation as a priority in their life. Folks, that seems to me to be a very valid uh, point and one that we should bear in mind as we make our nominations. Sometimes we're drawn to the kind of people who are the busiest Actually, we probably need to be careful of always going to the people who are already the busiest. And we need to consider the people who, who look to be ready for a responsibility here. People who are already loaded up with responsibilities outside and beyond may not be best placed to help here. So that seems to me to be a very sensible piece of advice. So we're looking for people of character, people who are full of the Spirit, who have evident self-control, and who demonstrate a commitment to this community right here. We've talked for a few moments about character. I want to talk very, very briefly about competence. There are some brilliant people in our congregation 
people whose lives are controlled and who are committed to the church, but they just might not have these particular and specific gifts that we have been talking about here this morning. It may be that they don't have a strong background or knowledge of buildings or, or finance or, or a grasp of how we might go ahead with our social action. To, to select them to serve on the committee again would be to do them and the congregation as a whole a disservice. We're, we're forcing round pegs into square holes when we do that. When we ask a person not qualified to do a job they're not qualified for. So remember what we're looking for. People with particular gifts in the areas of finance, buildings, and a growing ministry of mercy to people within and beyond our church. There's one last pastoral dynamic that I want to mention here before I close. If you've listened to what I've said there about people of character and people of competence, perhaps you, you imagine that if you have a voters list before you and you, you don't sense that you can choose a particular person on that list, that somehow not being able to do that is a, is a form of rejection, that you're saying that that person doesn't have value or that that person isn't fully mature in, in Christ or for some reason you feel uncomfortable with the idea that you can't select a, a person to serve on our congregational committee. Folks, I want to encourage you to think much, much broader than that. The principle that we find throughout the whole New Testament is that God calls different people to different ministries. Different people have different gifts we're not all gifted in the same way and we're not all called to serve God in the same way. So folks, elders, they require a particular type of gifting. You don't just become an elder because you've been around for longer than the other people. There's more to it than that. The congregational committee should be made up of people of a particular type of gifting. It's not something that we simply invite people to be a part of because we, we feel that we should for some particular sense of obligation. And folks, it takes all sorts of gifts to work in all sorts of other areas of church life. Think of, our, think of the many people who work with children and young people in our church. Why are they there? They're there because we have discerned in them a gifting and a desire to work with our children and young people. Those who, who help with leading home groups, why are they there? Because hopefully they're the right kind of people to, to be leading in that particular area. Those who, who sit over here to my right, who play and who sing, why are they there? Because it's music and singing in their case. So rather than thinking of it as a negative thing that somebody doesn't end up a, an elder or a member of the congregational committee, we need to open our eyes to the reality that each person, each person can have a wonderful role to play in church life. Each person can have a wonderful ministry. 
Whatever gifts God has given us, are our responsibilities to use them and to offer them in his service. Let's finish for this morning. What happens next? Well, in a few minutes' time, you're going to leave this place. And if you're a voting member of the congregation, I want you to take a nomination form with you. Uh, I want you to take one of those brochures that's sitting beside it. They're all on the table out there in the vestibule. And I want you to go home and, and pray about this. Read the brochure again. Dwell on the things we've thought about this morning. And then pray that God would help you to, to write in the right names. That he would use uh, the, the inclinations of your heart to do his work here. Folks, if we can approach our church life in that way, prayerful before God, taking the guidance of his word where it's given to us, then I think we can expect to see God at work, to see him bless us in, in similar ways that he blessed the early church. Look at verse 7. Look at the outcome of this first committee election. The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Picture the scene. A church where the, the minister, the, the pastor and the elders are never distracted from their primary calling. Where, where teaching and preaching and pastoring the people remains always at the center for them in what they do. They're able to do that because other people have come along and, and got involved and said, yes, I'll help with some of the more practical stuff, with the finance, the buildings, the care of the poor. I will serve in that way. And other people right throughout the congregation have said to themselves, I'm not going to be a passenger here. I'm not going to sit back while other people carry the load and maybe part of that load. I'm going to play my part. I'm going to discover what it is, what one thing I could do to use my gifts and to share in the work of this congregation. Folks, that's the church of Jesus Christ that's described in the New Testament. Every member serving using the gifts God has given them. And the results? The word of God spreads. People come to faith. And the church is blessed. Folks, isn't that brilliant? As you approach your nominations for our congregational committee, don't think of it as a hollow formality. Something that we have to do. Think of it as an opportunity to pray. Pray about what God's doing in this place. Pray that God would show you which people he wants to draw in. If we approach it in that way, I think we can be sure of God's blessing. Let's pray.